Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Today's episode of the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast is powered by FinClub and their artificially intelligent stock picks. With nearly 90% accuracy for the first half of the year, you'd be crazy not to try FinClub stock picks while you can. I mean, before they get bought out by one of the big Wall Street banks, because their technology really is that good. So head on over to tryfinclub.com to get nearly $1,500 in bonuses just for starting your free two-week trial. So join the club, the Fin Club, to get nearly $1,500 in bonuses just for starting your free two-week trial at tryfinclub.com. That's tryfinclub.com. Hey there, 10-Minute Traders. Welcome back to the How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special guest online, Jeff Small. And Jeff, he's a, he's a pretty sharp guy. Today, we're going to be talking about modernizing your portfolio. Hey, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show today. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance by Redwood Media Group, founder and head trader of 10MinuteStockTrader.com, Christopher Ewell. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm excited to discuss some things with you. Yeah, so let me read Jeff's bio real quick before we get too far into the show. Jeff is a best-selling author, author, having penned Turning Financial Planning Right Side Up, which has helped the general public master the inside game of investing and avoid Wall Street and media bias. He's an industry expert and has appeared on many of the nation's top TV and radio shows, including CNBC, Fox News, and Fox Business. He's strategized with thousands of local investors to create a master plan for investment that fuels their income stream, allowing them to enjoy retirement. So Jeff, hey, this sounds really great. I, uh, I am looking forward to, to learning from you and sharing that with the audience today. Awesome, yeah, I'm looking forward to telling you my trade secrets of the industry. Oh, perfect. <laughs> so what, uh, you know, Jeff and I were discussing a little bit beforehand uh, some topics we could talk about, and he was talking about modernizing a portfolio, what that would look like in a late stage bull market. And I was very interested in that. So, Jeff, uh, the floor, floor is yours. Take it away. Well, you know, um, you know, when we look at modernizing money, we want to coordinate somebody's portfolio in reference to what stage of the actual stock market cycle we're at and what stage of the economic cycle, because the two really coincide. So whether you're over 50 or you're Generation Xer and you're under, you know, you're in that under 50 range or under 53 range or whatever, or you're a millennial, you, you really want to take some money off the table at this stage. The market is screaming late stage, you know, and if, if China decides to mess with us, then we got some serious problems. Everybody's looking for the hot sector. And so stocks really aren't trading on earnings news. They're really trading more on momentum and sentiment based on consumerism because consumerism really is the strongest play right now we've got in the economy and the consumer is incredibly strong. So when you look at modernizing your money, there's a couple different ways to look at it. You can take money off the table and avoid risk. That increases your rate of return. Or you can look for bond proxies via yields or dividends inside the common stock arena, which is not my least favorite to modernize. But the best way to modernize really is to harness fixed income assets, things that pay interest rates and dividends. 
And so as we ride this interest rate cycle down, because we're going to zero, interest rates will be zero. The discount rate, the Fed funds rate will be at 0% by the end of 2021 or at some time during 2021, because the global banks are going to zero. And so what that means is when rates drop, fixed income prices like in bonds and bond-like instruments do what? They go up. It's an inverse relationship. So what investors need to do today is focus more on that component because we're over-focused on risk as an acceptable component for money supply expansion or growth on your money. That's not where investors should be today. They need to be more in fixed income. Oh, wow. Okay. Very, very interesting. Okay. So if somebody is looking to go out there to fixed income, like you're talking about, what vehicles would they would they go to, right? Are we talking like TLT? Are we talking municipal bonds, things like that? Where, where, where are the vehicles that they would be looking at? Well, um, the fixed income vehicles are bond and bond-like instruments or anything that can generate income. Now, preferred stocks are like a corporate bond. They generate income. Uh, preferred stocks are considered baby bonds. They're uncorrelated to the market and considered non-volatile components. But what's possible today, if you have a menagerie of investments allocated between preferreds and bonds and maybe you know some BDCs or REITs that might be 10 or 15% weighting in the market, you can generate greater than a 5% yield on your money. Now, that's what's possible today and still be in Warren Buffett quality components like Bank of America or Citigroup you know, or Morgan Stanley or Goldman Sachs. I mean, you can get 6 to 7% on their preferred. So that's really where folks need to be if they're looking to anchor their money supply down and to prevent it from eroding in the next market downturn. Now, the downturn's not happening today. Our hair's not on fire yet. <laughs> uh, if China walks, I shouldn't be talking about hair, but if China <laughs> walks next month, or the, uh, and they say a carrot in front of us again, we're going to see the market be extremely volatile. If earnings disappoint, which I don't believe that they will, I think earnings will be consistent. Uh, you know, even though they're going to be less than last year, we know we're in a negative trajectory. We're not going to see any surprises because revenues are strong across the board still because of consumers. So China's really the X factor here. The market valuations are actually the biggest X factor because everything is bought. Now, it's not a coincidence. Don't take my word for it. Warren Buffett is sitting more in cash than he ever has. He's got $122 billion in cash. He's not talking to anybody right now. You know, he, he doesn't want to share his perspectives. And so that might be because he's too old or because he's waiting for something else. I don't know. But, you know, the warning signs are on the wall that we want to be very careful at this stage with the majority of the market hitting their all-time highs. It's going to be really hard to get the next leg up inside the stock market itself. Hmm. Okay. Well, this is this is quite the downer, Jeff. Let me tell you. <laughs> so yeah. it's. <laughs> hey, I'm a modernist. If I if, I wish I could say be long. I wish I could say be long right now. I wish I could tell you that the market is going to go up because the price to earnings ratio is at 16, and China trade is going to work, and Trump's not going to get impeached, and the Democrats are going to work with the Republicans to to give us more tax breaks and infrastructure and welfare reform. I wish we didn't have this political discord. You know, and the other geopolitical risks like Iran, you know, and a, and a topping global economy. Don't shoot the messenger here. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger here. But we got we to gotta think modern. If we bury our head in the sand and we ride the roller coaster of the market and we end up going down, we have to play the catch-up game. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to avoid the 08-09 debacle. We want to avoid the 2000-2003 debacle as okay. well. Then, you know, we don't want to ride this thing down into the ground. 
So, so on that topic there, I'm glad you brought that up. So what would you see as a different, a different measure as far as, uh, changing strategies, moving things forward, being more diverse, being more, more, more agile versus 0809, right? Obviously technology's changed a lot more choices have come on the market, a lot more, uh, ability for the individual to get out there and do different things. But comparatively to 0809, uh, what could we do different as opposed to what happened then? Well, I think um, we're not going to see institutions fail. We'll see, you know, what's going to happen probably going into the next administration is we're out of money. It really doesn't matter who gets elected. The reason interest rates are going to crash is because the debt service was going to be around $800 billion on our national deficit uh, with the December 2018 last rate increase. And so we don't we don't have the money. Um, but what will happen to keep the expansion going into the next decade uh, is going to be massive fiscal management from the governmental side. We're going to see cutbacks in every component of the budget. Um, and then also quantitative easing and the potential of negative interest rates combined with the Fed potentially coming in to intercede and buy equities. So what we're going to end up with is what's called a trend market, very similar to Japan. And by the way, everything, this is not a plug for the book, but everything that I've discussed so far with you is in my book. And so, you know, the Japanese market hasn't grown since 1987. It's what we call a trend stock market. They'd have zero, they were the first country to go to 0% interest rates, the first country to do quantitative easing, you know, where they bought the treasuries over there to try and create stimulus and, and economic growth and inflation. And that never happened. And so when you overly engineer a free market environment and you have a long-term secular demographic aging process where there's more people retiring than there are being hired and half the population is over 45, what do you have? You have massive deflation, which is much worse than inflation. And so deflation is coming into the next decade. It will happen. So we're going to have all of this intervention economically to try and buoy asset prices because the Fed's job really isn't full employment. The Fed's job is keeping asset prices high, which ensures the integrity of institutions and making sure institutions don't fail. The Fed has a new mission ever since 2008, 2009. It has nothing to do with employment. I don't believe they care about employment or creating a stimulus or monetary policy for employment. Their job is to keep asset prices high in stocks and real estate and then make sure institutions are solid. Hmm. Okay. So, so in that, you know, one of the things that I picked up there was you were talking about uh, negative interest rates and how there there are parts of the globe that have negative interest rates and have had them for a while now. That's do you correct. do you actually believe that the U.S. would go to negative interest rates? You know, um, that would be a very sad day. It would, and that's why I ask because I just don't. But look, let's look at the let's look at the model. So Europe has printed up you know over ten trillion dollars of negative interest rate based treasuries. Is their economy doing well? No. Mm, no. What type of unemployment rate do they have? It's around 10%. So they've created an environment where they really can't expand, and they have so much such a sovereign debt problem over there that if they don't keep the money printing, being printed up, these countries can't service the debt that they've got, and the debt will implode and cause, uh, cause problems. And so negative interest rates <laughs> really being used by Europe to for people like you and I not to keep money in the bank and for corporations to spend money. It's another form of taxation, basically. It's an incentive to keep free cash in circulation. I don't think negative interest rates are a good option. I don't think the Fed would be dumb enough to ever deploy that unless there's just too much money sitting in cash in banks and they want to see it put the work somewhere else, which if they do that, 
Um, that's a strong arm tactic. I really hope they don't do that because I don't. I, I think then we're in dire straits if we go negative. Hmm. Interesting. So, so to you, what what other what other mechanisms does the Fed have? Because that's something I've talked about in the past to to other people and on on the podcast as well. Is that I had felt that the Fed was raising rates in the most recent cycle, basically for no other reason than to start bringing them back down, which is what we're seeing now. Um, what what really what pull does the Fed have other than uh, raising, or I should say, manipulating rates uh, to stimulate the economy? Well, other than you know quantitative easing, uh, and from March of 2009 to November of 2014, the Fed purchased 4.2 trillion dollars of United States Treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And so on the Treasury side, they gave that money to the government so we could fund our national budget, spend more than we collect to try and lift us up out of that economic mess that we were in. That is the next step, is QE, where the Fed's physically buying the treasuries and giving the money to the government because nobody else will buy those treasuries. And we've got to sell you know, $2.5 billion, $3 billion a day in treasuries to offshore entities just to fund the surplus expense that we're, we're providing now. We're spending a trillion dollars a year more than we collect. And so that money's got to come from offshore. If we start adding another five, six, seven billion a month or day of, of, of money that we want to create from there, no one's going to buy it. You know, there, there's no buyers for that. The Fed's going to do quantitative easing and buy it for themselves and put it on their balance sheet, which, you know, technically is a Ponzi scheme at that point. Mm-hmm. It sounds bad, but, you know, that's there. That's how we plug the holes in the dike around here. I never thought yeah. we'd see that. You know, 35 years in the business. I never thought we'd see the Fed become socialistic. I think 100 years from now, they're going to say quantitative easing was nothing but socialism enhancing free market economics. So to you, what what needs to be done just overall in the grand scheme of things, macro picture? What needs to be done to to fix what you've been talking about here? All right. That is such a great question. Uh, there are so many things that Washington can do to enhance uh, the economy and to unchain the economy to place my vote based on who's best for the economy, not who the media wants me to hate or dislike or who's who's crass or who's unpresidential. I don't care about any of that. I'm focused on the economy because the economy lifts up everybody. It does, it's the one common denominator we all have, race, creed, color, party affiliation, whatever. The economy goes up, everybody benefits. And so you've got to vote for who's going to be best for the economy. But what we've seen here is a pretty economic, a big economic miracle the last couple of years with 400,000 manufacturing jobs coming back to America. That's more jobs in two and a half years in manufacturing that Obama created, I hate to say that, or Bush created during his term. We saw an exodus of manufacturing jobs and so in that, in that time frame. So we need people in, in Washington that aren't, that aren't going to enrich themselves from the political system that are here to work for Main Street. And now we're at a point where Main Street has to rise above the political fray and say, okay, these guys don't know what they're doing up there. They can't get along. They can't get anything done. So now I have to vote for whoever's going to be best for the economy. And that's really where Main Street has to start approaching this thing because they're not doing anything. The Democrats, you know, socialization, Medicare for all, it's we're out of money. They're telling a lie. We don't have the money. And the next term, we won't have the money. So it doesn't matter who's elected, blue or red, we're out of money. There's going to be massive fiscal restructuring. And so 
for them, you know, what, what I when I see people promising the world today about what the government's going to do for you, I see that as the greatest lie ever in politics because it's not possible. It can't be done mathematically. And and so, you know, we need people who are going to be honest about what's happening and that, you know, and you can say that both parties are dishonest because they are, and I'm being neutral here, um, but I vote my conscience on who's going to be best for the economy and unchain it. Now, the greatest thing that's ever happened was we lowered corporate tax rates to 20%, which happens to be the same rate as China. So why should our rates be higher than China's when we don't incentivize our largest companies to domicile here? You know, Apple is domiciled in Ireland. Why? Because of the tax rate. But yet their patents are at the U.S. Patent Office where they make all of their money from. So it doesn't make any sense. We, we've got to create an environment where companies want to be here. And so, unfortunately, when you tow the party line and political side of the equation, the Democrats want to increase tax rates corporate-wise because they think that that hurts the middle class. It does the opposite. The reason we were at epically low unemployment rates in all classes of people is because corporations have more free cash flow than ever before. Now, what I see should happen going forward in politics is both parties should get together and say, hey, look, we need to re-incentivize corporate America to increase wages even further. We need to lift up the middle class. Because if we don't have a middle class, and we don't start creating opportunities for folks, we will be socialized in four to eight years. That's all it will take. We're four to eight years from being socialized like Europe or Canada. And so we have to find a way to keep free market economics alive. And the way to do that is to unchain the economy, keep tax rates for corporations low, but yet create additional packages at the congressional level and at the presidential level that will enhance or incentivize companies to lift up people. Kind of like what Henry Ford did. Henry Ford said, take away everything I've got, but take care of my people, and I'm good. That's what makes me sleep easier, and I want to lift up the people that work for me. And so we need to get focused on, on that. And that's not socialism. That's just fairness. You know, mm-hmm. When I look at the last 10 years, corporations have been, as, on an average, buying back $50 billion a month of their own stocks. We've had the largest amount of share repurchases by corporations in history. Last year, $840 billion, which was a record. This year, we're on pace for $900 billion. Most of that money is leveraged. They're issuing debt to pay for that. They're not using cash from their balance sheets. And so a lot of that could have been used to enhance their employment base or hire more people. You know, I mean... We, that the incentivization for companies to buy back their own stock is to increase share prices, which it does because it shrinks the float. When Apple buys back 200 million shares, what happens? They retire that stock. The float shrinks. When demand hits, the price rises. Well, who does that benefit? The top layer of management because what happens what is happening is their employment contracts and their big golden parachute bonuses and their big stock option packages are based on what? Share price appreciation. And so it's it's... It's, uh, it's, it's not a good system. It doesn't benefit the rank and file, even though Apple has a much higher wage, to be fair to them, than most companies. Mm-hmm. And so does Google. But they're both in massive share back repurchase. They're both doing massive share buybacks right now. And so these are some of the macro things that I think will affect the dynamic of the economy from your original question and, and how we can frame things going forward, but yet modernize things because we have an aging population. We have 180,000 people a month leaving the workforce and retiring for the first time. And so they downsize, they get less income, they're living in a smaller house, they don't buy as much. Half the population domestically is over 45. You save the most in your 50s for retirement. 
You spend less, pay down debt. And so it's a triple-headed trifecta against consumerism. So this is what the age wave is going to do going into the next economic cycle in the next decade. We're going to see very little growth in earnings because of the lack of consumerism. And so if we don't modernize the economy and unchain it and incentivize it, we got big problems in 2020 to 2030. Ah, okay. Well, first, let me say thank you for going into such a detailed description of, uh, you know, what what should be happening out there to, to make some changes. Um, and really, I, I think you did a, a good service to really selling the the uh, the value prop of your book, right? Turning financial planning right side up. And you were saying that a lot of what you're talking about here is is contained within that, correct? You know, my, my book is it chronicles all of this. Um, and, uh, you know, the book is poetic from that perspective because since the book has come out, everything in the book has happened and we're going to keep on this pace. And so it's extraordinarily prophetic. So if you're a young investor, you definitely want to read this book so you can get a perspective. Now, is there times to be back in the market? Sure. Is there times to have risk off? There is, but you've got to understand the patterns of the market. Now with our clients individually, we specialize in working with folks who are over 50. And so we have a risk-off approach at this stage. We, we don't want to be market-centric. You know, we, we will get back into the market once the market finally corrects. Right. Okay. Well, for the podcast audience out there, I'm going to leave a, uh, a link to Jeff's book in the description below. And it's called Turning Financial Planning Right Side Up. Uh, that'll be right there on Amazon. So, Jeff, uh, do you have a, a social media handle? Do you, do you make any uh, social media content for people to follow you on? Um, you know, we're, we're all over Facebook with all my media appearances are on my Facebook page for my company. We have uh, Jeffrey Small Arbor at Twitter. Uh, I do comment here and there, but I do so much media, it's really hard for me to, you know, constantly compete on Twitter. And between that and my business, you know, I've got people that actually, to be honest with you, everybody, everybody that's famous, they don't do their own Twitter. They, they've hired somebody to their Twitter. And so mm-hmm. I have somebody in my office that does my own Twitter, so I'm not sure what information you're getting there. Okay, well that's all right. No worries. Uh, I'll, I'll be sure to link that below so people can can keep track of uh, you know what's going on out in uh, in Jeff's world. Well, Jeff, seriously, thank you so much for for coming on today. This has been extremely enlightening. Uh, you've brought an absolutely different perspective that I appreciate being able to to share that with with you and the the audience out there. So thank you so much for for doing that with us. You're welcome. It's important to have foresight, and that's what I wanted to provide today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, make sure you go and check out Jeff's book. It'll be linked below. And thank you for tuning in uh, to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Stumbling over my words there. And thank you, Jeff, for coming on. Yes, sir. You have a good day. You too. And thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you like, subscribe, and enable notifications. That way you never miss any of the tools, tips, and tricks that we upload every single week to help you trade faster, trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. Hey, did you realize that you could get the secret weapon that every investor needs right now to start changing your financial future for free? Yeah, that's right. Just head on over to triplestockprofits.com and download your free Triple Stock Profit System ebook today. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, who is content, financial programming, or otherwise, 
does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. Tim and his StockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. Tim and his StockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit timandstocktrader.com slash legal. Thanks for stopping by.